guys, welcome back to the podcast. So it's we've had a little bit of a hiatus between the last two episodes. We we successfully posted like three episodes in the course of uh, four weeks, and this one's like a month out. So yeah. welcome to the chaos of our lives. Back to normal. That's good news. <laughs> I know, right? So I felt, I felt like we were being like overproductive there. So I know, right? Like calm. you had we had to turn. I'm glad we've calmed down a little bit. You know, yeah, it's getting so. a little stressed out. What's up, dude? What's up, man? So you and I just finished a book um, that's got a fairly, con- um, what would I call it? Clickbaity title, right? Uh, Jesus and John Wayne, how, uh, what is it? How white evangelicals corrupted a faith and fractured a nation. I, w- uh, I would consider that. May- maybe offensive. Yeah, maybe offensive. <laughs> Depending um, on what circle you're in. Right. Or you would just agree with it by reading the cover. And right, it exactly. depends on what circle you run in. Um, I tend to feel both ways at the same time. Yeah, exactly. Right, right yeah, it was really weird. Yeah, but. yeah, for sure. Um so long story short actually is this the first book we've read at the same time yes actually yeah this is cool this is cool i like it so this is an interesting book right so one of the things that i've really been trying to do is get myself to read other people's opinions on things so i'm not stuck in my echo chamber i do that with like the internet and social media a lot but less so with like books right usually i'm in the same vein of books and the same thought process for all of the books i read it's not often that i branch super far out on books. Well, the the thing about that's interesting about Jesus and John Wayne is like it it, it appears as a religious book, but right. it's it's really I mean it is in a way, but sure. it's, it, it's written by a, an actual historian. Right. The thing so that I think is interesting is like you can't read it as a theology book and you can't read it as a Christian living book. You have to read it as a more of a history like, book. Like like a historical account of things that you don't want sure. to know about. Well, and the interesting thing is the more I was as I was kind of ruminating on it and thinking about it after I read it is um you know so one of our staff members at my church um, has a degree in teaching and in history, and that's specifically his sure. thing. Yeah. So he's a very gifted sp- teacher. He like he taught for years and years and years and years. Like like a school like a school, yeah, school teacher. teacher. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. Gotcha. Um, and he's extremely knowledgeable on history. Like okay. you can just throw something at him and he'll just yeah. He'll he'll rip. Like it out. he just he probably still studies history even though he's for not sure. He enjoys. He just it. likes it. Yeah. Um, the interesting thing he said that I actually really appreciated while reading this book, right, is um, he said. History can, history is always presented with some sort of bias mm-hmm. because it has to be, right? When you're presenting history, sure. there's always a sort of bias or a lens you're reading it through. Well, hist- it goes to the whoever wins right, gets exactly. to write the history book. Exactly. Why would you not bend it towards what you want? Yeah. So it's one of those things where you can hear the comment, you can't disagree with history, and there's a there's a there is a hint of truth to that, right? But then there's also yes. the hint the sense that you have to understand the lens that you're reading that history account through. Mm -hmm. So you have like today you have certain really far um, right movements who are basically trying to write history that slavery was never as bad as it really was. Right. Or you have really far left movements who are saying that um, history is way worse than it was ever recorded. Yeah. And neither of them are completely true. There's there's a balance. There is a balance, right? So you have to understand the bias that you're reading that historical account through. And and depending on where you grew up, your upbringing, like you're going to bring a bias. You might not know. You're going to bring a bias to every conversation you have on stuff like that. Like, and I think that's why reading this book was really helpful for me is to be able to read a historical account of honestly my life Mm -hmm. and more of my more than my life. From a different bias than I had, yeah. which presents you with more information that you didn't have before. Mm-hmm. Um, so there were things in the book that kind of hurt my feelings is the best way to put it, that I was like, sure. man, that mm, that sucks. And you're like, man, I can feel there's a little bit of a sense of bias in this, of like, this really hurt you. And so like, you're writing it about it a little more harshly. Yeah. But 
it also seems to be historically accurate. So like yeah. it's that really weird balance of trying to get out of your your comfort zone, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, just just on the book, I think the book was extremely well written. Very, very much um, so. And I think the thing that frustrated me a lot of times about the book is that I want to know what her actual view is, but sure. she's such a good writer, I couldn't tell. Yeah. Like, there was times where you would think you would know, sure. and then all of a sudden it would switch, and I was like, okay, well, what does she think? And that's just, you're right. never going to know because she's not going to tell she's you. She's not going to tell you because right. she's a historian and, and a, a good writer. Right, and, exactly. Um, that's, so, I, that's one of the things I think I appreciated most about the book. For it, sure. Right? So I thought the book, that, that portion of the book was very interesting. And if you do read the book, you have to go into in it with that lens Yeah. that you are reading someone's account of history mm-hmm. and there is a little bit of a bias there and that's mm-hmm. okay. Cause any pit of history you give, you're going to have your own bias in it. So yeah. unless you were there, there and you had no part to play yeah. and you're completely indifferent, which no mm-hmm. one is. So, you yeah. know. It is what it is. Which, I mean, some of this, we were there for it. Exactly, like, which was kind of wild, thing, right? Which is weird to think about. It's historically written, but it's like, wow, I'm old enough that I was I was actually I part re- of I this. I remember doing this. It's almost, uh, actually, you know what? Kristen Chris, Chris Kobe's is never going to hear this, but that part offended me that I was actually in it. I'm old enough to be part of the history. So. I know. That that made yeah. me feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So you, you and I kind of talked through a couple of points. Yeah. Um, one of the things that kind of brings up about this is like the, the weird... I would call it weird. The weird blend in of hyper masculinity into evangelicalism. And you had you had a point written down that I thought was really interesting um, about that view that I think that today we just kind of look at as normal. Yeah. But it, historically it wasn't normal, right? The hyper masculinity. Yeah, or, exactly. I mean a lot of that, yeah, it's interesting, right? So they talk about like the, his- the historical part of that book where like you have that male breadwinner culture in the ni- – I think it's the 1950s, sure. which we all think is normal now, but up until the 1950s was just not. It, yeah, exactly. Like that wasn't historically normal. You know, it, it was normalized within our culture, which is fine to an extent. Yeah. It doesn't matter, I guess. I mean it does too. It does. If you read the book, it does. It does, but um, it also is like it's part of culture, but, right? And, and th- I mean, that's not the whole point I'm getting at, but I, I just wrote down as I was reading the book, one thing I thought, I said, I thought it was interesting that so far reading through the book that the masculinity today within Christianity seems planned, you know, mm-hmm. um, that it's come, like, if you look historically through the accounts, like we got here today on purpose, like sure. these things are being pushed on purpose right. for, for certain things and, and, and fear and stuff. And I'm sure we'll get into the fear portion of yeah. that, um, later on. Um, and I think that I have been conditioned or was conditioned to see see masculinity in a non-biblical view. Um, not on purpose, right. and I don't think necessarily all of it was non-biblical and all of it was bad, right. but there's just a... There's... So what you're saying is the masculinity that you were raised unintentionally. Yeah. In, at least in our, in, our, in our upbringing, I know for a fact it was unintentional because it was, it was just driven into culture at that point. Like that was yeah. what it was. Didn't does not align with the Bible. It's not that um, you're saying that what you believe is unbiblical. Yeah. It's that that view of it does not align with. Yeah, the Bible, right? and I mean, I don't even necessarily say that. Like, I don't think my parents actually brought me up with exactly. that, in that view. I think that was just a church bred thing that that, is, that was just in the church, sure. um, not in a. Like I said, it is what it is, but it just seems like it's we've. We were, I was conditioned to see masculinity as like this hyper masculine, tough ma- guy, tough guy, like strong, you know, um, beat we, people up if he has yeah, to. Yeah, you know, is on the edge yeah. sort of thing. And well, it's and interesting. Yeah. I think 
if you look at masculinity in a Jesus view, he was on the edge, but in a completely different, different way, way than what we were taught. Right. It's just an interesting comparison. Um, they took all the edginess of Jesus, but then sent it the other direction. Yeah, threw it on um, like you basically have this weird combination of Jesus and uh, like Samson. <laughs> Which, if we're honest yeah. here, Samson's probably not a um character we want to mold ourselves after. Yeah, not if, if really we anyway. read that. Kind of sucked, honestly. Like, that it's a it's a tough look, right? Yeah. Well, it's interesting. So the reason I the reason that kind of stuck out to me is so in our staff meeting on Tuesday at my uh, church, yeah. we talked. Uh, our pastor kind of brought up a question of like, how, what do you think the difference is between pain and suffering? And I thought that was an, that was an interesting question. Yeah, that did. And it was interesting as even I answered it, and then a few other people in the room answered it. It dawned on me about 20 minutes later that all of our answers had to do with the physical. Yeah. And none of it had to do with the emotional, spiritual, or um, mental okay. idea of pain and suffering. Yeah. And it was funny when I was talking to one of my other coworkers who's so, a woman. Uh, can I just say, yeah. I, I, I would, in, in my brain, thinks of like, like pain is phys- pain is physical and suffering is like would be physical or mental, but it's not long lasting. Or suffering is almost permanent. Sure, does that make sense? Sure, does that make sense? So it's interesting because one of the women that I was talking to, her thought went to the emotional and the emotional toll toll of it, and that yeah. that started this thought process in my head, thinking about Jesus and John Wayne and a few other things I've read. Right, of yeah, as a man, I have been conditioned even as a boy. That yeah. guys guys don't have feelings. Yeah. Guys are hard. We don't show emotion. We don't get sad. Yeah. Well, I cry all the time now. So yeah, right. I don't know. It's funny how that changed. Yeah. But even even in the sense I was talking to one of my pastors, like I suffer with depression. Yeah. And I never understood or acknowledged that because the answer given to me growing up, again, <laughs> I'm not there's no demonizing, yeah. there's no there's no accusatory. No. This is just how if that's the interesting thing about reading this book is all of these things in my own mental psyche make sense of you just need to ma- suck it up and man up like <laughs> yeah. that. That's why you're sad is you just need to man up and act like a man. And I'm like, man, that's the older I've gotten now. I'm like, man, that's weird. That doesn't really make sense to me. Now I understand I'm like, yeah, I deal with depression. That's a mental issue that I have that I have to acknowledge yeah. and handle differently. But growing up, I was never given room for that because it was basically like, well, you're a boy. You're, you're just tough and you, you're supposed to play sports and be mm-hmm. a tough guy and be like Warrior Jesus. And I'm like, who the crap is Warrior Jesus? I don't yeah. I don't even know who that is. Yeah. And even if you want to talk about the Revelation Jesus, that's, I mean, yeah, that's I don't, I'm not going to get into that. We're not going to go there because that's but, way more complex. I, mean, I, I could argue that he probably he, his, he actually is winning by letting himself die over and over. Anyway, right. it's, it's completely beside the point. But that's, but. but that's the thing is I think that's <laughs> such an interesting idea is – biblical view of masculinity and what we have turned masculinity in our, into our, in our culture. Well, let's just call it what our, our Christian culture of yeah. masculinity is different from what the biblical masculinity right. actually and e- is. E- and even just blatant cultural masculinity. Think about the guys we look up to are the tough sports guys or these these yeah. famous people. Like that. That's, oh yeah, that's a man's man. Like that's why I think the title is so interesting, right? Is John Wayne was always the man's man. I'm yes. like- I mean, he also killed people like that. That that doesn't really yeah. work biblically. Like, and then the the actual actor John Wayne himself. It's inter- interesting. Like, right, had a lot of troubles in his personal life. Right, that, that don't follow with the biblical model either. But right, he was used and, and as none like, of us are going to. No. right? but it's just interesting that that somehow over the course of the years, our view of what being a man looks like has removed these abilities for us and then we start wondering why we start having an epidemic of 
suicide, yeah. of depression, yeah. of mental disability and mental issues of like, what is going on? Yeah. It's like, well, we've conditioned people to think a certain way, but that's not how our bodies work. Well, and it's interesting what ties into that where you talk about like, well, like you you personally struggle with depression. And we've talked about this. Yeah. I feel comfortable saying like, talk, you know, but and, and um, I think that's interesting. And I think another thing ties into this and I, um, the thing that, that ties into that is like a lot of times you were told too. it's like, oh, well, you just need to trust God. more. Yeah. And it's like, uh, well, I'm not saying you shouldn't trust God. more. Right. You absolutely should trust God more. Sometimes you're like just because you trust God more doesn't mean you don't have like a, a struggle with a mental illness or you struggle right. with depression like that. Those it very well could be a the, chemical Im- imbalance, imbalance in your body. Those, those are That's not. That's those are not exclusive to the, those aren't tied together. Those can be right. mutually exclusive. You can trust God more and still struggle with depression. That's right. You know, well, it's like I heard, I heard someone who I know like suffers with some um, physical stuff and he went to get prayer and he was basically told the reason he's not healed because he doesn't have enough <laughs> faith. And I'm like, that's such bull crap. I'm so tired of hearing well, that. I'm like, that is not how this works. Well, and talk about hearing that. And then if you, you, you go, okay, <laughs> I'm sorry, get mad. <laughs> <laughs> like you go to a church looking for help and someone's like yeah you just actually are too sinful and don't right. pray enough like <laughs> thanks <laughs> i feel way better now that's definitely oh, man, how... i'm totally gonna come back to church now because i was told i just don't pray enough <laughs> right, right man and and maybe that's true but <laughs> probably not the heart of that is so so brutal yeah man. well it's, it's interesting because <laughs> So for me, the main the main thing I took out of Jesus and John Wayne, um, and apparently it was decent enough that the author agreed with me because I posted on Twitter and she like liked it. I was like, yeah. okay, cool. At least I was on the right track. I was awesome. I was yeah. going where she was ho- where she cool. was hoping in one sense. Yeah. So I'm just gonna read what I wrote because I thought, and then we can kind of discuss it because you know what I wrote and I think you had a very similar thought yeah, process I just, reading it. I didn't I didn't write it down. Like yeah, for either, sure. But yes, I will. I'm gonna pull it up. So I I'm gonna pull. It up so I can just yeah for sure pull from it yeah so what I said is after finishing Jesus and John Wayne something dawned on me that as I think about it has been a thought growing inside me for years that Christians for almost the last century have been trained to fear everything or at least everything that could attack or inhibit their beliefs the fear of everything that we have been indoctrinated in has shaped how men view their roles, how women are told to think and be, how churches need to function, and how Christians should respond to events in the world. I really believe that every Christian should read this book, but there's also some stuff you probably will disagree with and not like. Mm. But it's probably pretty healthy. Um, and so I just kind of go on and kind of basically give a review of it, and that's that's kind of irrelevant. But I think the thing that stuck out to me is you see these these circles in American Christianity over the last like 60 years of sure. something new to fear, something new to be afraid of and to team up against, right? Mm-hmm. And it's funny, I was even talking to my pastor about it and I'm like, would you agree that the thing that is most unifying to a group of people is a common enemy or a common thing to fear? And he agreed. And it's funny, I was watching a movie and at the end of it, they said it was um, about spies and all this fun stuff, whatever. Yeah. It's an action movie. I enjoy those. Um, And he said, America's a big country, so America needs big enemies Mm. because that's the only way we'll be able to get our people together to fight against the same thing. What's interesting is when you think about COVID, somehow that that wasn't actually what happened is you have these polarizing views and there was no unifying to it. Yeah. And there's a lot of things that go into it and I'm not going there because I'm not. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it polarized in a way, but yeah. it also unified people in a way, just not in a way that you would probably want. I mean, truth, truthfully, COVID did unify people. Yeah. Just 
it just I mean it divided people, but then like your your smaller groups were, for sure. Do, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. So anyway, my th- thought process on that is I thought that was very true because when you think about like when Americas had to go to war, it's it's us us being the moral like we are the right like mm. we're gonna we're gonna take mm. on these people who are morally off, and that's a really easy thing to get behind. Yeah, you may not like yeah. war, you may not like violence, but it's pretty easy to get behind or get a large group of people behind something where it's like this is just very black and white bad, right? It, that's the enemy. Yeah, and it's interesting how as you go through the history of Christianity, especially in like the modern and like the 20th century, you see these repeated things happening that are these unifying factors for the church to go up against. Yes. And that's a normal, natural human response. Yeah. Right. Even think about sports, your affinities are for your team. And when that team faces the team that everyone hates, it just, everyone goes off. So like everyone who's a Seahawks fan, anytime we go up against the 49ers, there's a unifying you may I may completely disagree with you politically but it's, yeah I hate the 49ers so we're on the same team like there's a unifying sense sure. to that right yeah and it's just interesting that Jesus repeatedly it's repeatedly said throughout the entire bible do not be afraid do not fear you haven't been given a spirit of fear i've overcome the world like all of these yeah. repeated things of like hey don't be afraid mm-hmm. i have this i i like there's that sense right that we have become afraid. Mm-hmm. And I wrote down another note that um, I share with a couple of people because I wanted to see if um, I was completely theologically off. And I said, have we ever stopped to wonder if some of the oppression that Christians have faced in America is rooted in the fact that we have fought and waged war with verbal violence and fear? And this was the natural response instead of responding to issues as Christ would have responded. And so then I quoted Hosea 8, 7, where he says, we sowed to the wind and have reaped the whirlwind. And it's that idea of like, <laughs> the best way I can explain is you fight fire with fire, you just get burned. Sure. So like it, you're a firefighter, right? If you if you try and like, you're not going to fight a fire with more fire unless it's like a wildfire. That's yeah. that's, that's different. It's a bad was, example. But yeah. but if you're talking about a house fire, like we'll, we'll, we'll go with a structure fire. Yeah. Um, anyway, that was probably a bad example, but that's fine. You, no, you're good. Most I, people understand what that it's means. It's fine. Most people... You're just talking to the wrong person. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? I'm not, this is that was a bad that was a bad analogy. <laughs> but yes, yes, you're right. Typically, you don't use some you don't use something that you're trying to put out to put out. I, I get what right. You're it's that idea that. of like I wonder if some of the backlash that American Christian Christians have gotten is because we have responded with fear. Yeah. Because all of us know when you respond to a situation out of fear, it's not very often do you respond rationally. Yeah, like if you're again, maybe I'm off in this, but I'm assuming that in training to be a firefighter, you're told you have to be calm and not, and kind of repress that fear of whatever's going on so you can do your job well. Um, In a sense. Yeah, I mean, the goal, the, I'll try to put it to example. Like, if, if you show up, on, if you're going to a house fire and mm-hmm. say you're not the first truck there and the first officer that gets on scene when he's on the radio and like he, when he said the fire and he's like, yeah, you know, we have this house where, and he's super calm and he just sounds like this. Mm-hmm. Then you're like, Oh, you calm down because sure. that guy's calm. But if the first person comes in and they're like, Oh my gosh, ah! then you're like, Oh my gosh. So right. yes, you, you, the goal, the goal is to, yeah. If you stay calm, they're, the the patient or they're or they're just gonna stay calm and then everyone's gonna stay calm. Right. Yeah. Yes. I mean, there's, there's a reason hostage, like negotiators for like people who are, 
want to commit suicide or trying to kill people, like they have to be very calm because if you try and fight aggression with aggression, you're just going to get more, right? So there's just this thought in my head wondering that if because we have been conditioned to fear, mm-hmm. because that's a normal human being response, yeah. that that's partially why we see some of these fairly personal attacks on our faith of like, well, Christians are just dumb and are bigoted and all this stuff. And I'm like, well, unfortunately, there are some people that that applies to. But I also wonder if that was caused partially in part because we were so afraid that we responded out of fear. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I thought that was a, just an interesting thought in myself because I know how I respond when I'm afraid. And it's usually not great. That's defensive usually. It's, yeah. Always. Yeah. So I don't know. Like that was just... Those thoughts were those were like the culmination of my thoughts reading that book. There's so much more in the book that honestly bummed me out. But realistically, from my own personal walk and my own understanding of things, those were the things that really stuck out to me of like, man, I wonder how we can adjust this. And then, of course, while I'm reading this book, the series, uh, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill comes out and it's just horrifying of watching what happens when that masculinity just goes way too far. I I think the interesting about that Rise and Fall of Mars Hill thing, too, is that and I, one of my favorite things about that is like they show all these things that are horrible, but then they mention like, hey, there's still all these good things that happen too. This was not all bad. Like, well, I think the interesting – the thing that really struck me is when the um, the host basically said um, there wouldn't have been so much pain mm-hmm. out of this if there wasn't so much good that came before. Yeah. And I thought, man, that – that rings so true to me of like, man, that, that makes sense. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it wouldn't have been as hurtful if so many people didn't experience the life change of the spirit. Mm-hmm. Right. So I don't know. It's just, for me, it's an understanding of where people are coming from. Mm-hmm. This book really allowed me to see why I think yeah. certain people just are so militantly against Christianity. Yeah. Um, and allow, and hopefully will allow me to have conversations with those people that yeah. are hopefully productive. Yeah. I'm not trying to change their mind. I just want to be able to understand where they're coming from. Yeah. And that, I mean, I think this, uh, the, the book opens your eyes to a lot of things that yeah. you just didn't, it, it's like this, it's like the classic example of like a lot of times you're so close to it, you can't see it. Yeah. And this book kind of gives you that, that overview of like, Oh, okay. and, and the thing, uh, the thing that really tipped me off to the fear thing, I'll just give you the one, one little quote out of the book that I thought was really really powerfully example of the fear thing. And again, I don't think it, it's hard to describe this, but I don't here. Let me tell the story first. Then I'll explain why I'm trying to formulate my words. So Billy Graham's first like crusade speech was in LA. In LA. Okay. Right. Two days before that. Yeah. Russia detonates their first nuclear bomb. Right. And the president alerts the country to let them know that Russia just did this, which sparks the beginning of the Red Scare. Sure. Everyone's afraid. Everyone's fearful that they're going to die. The world's going to end. Yes. Now, mind you, Billy Graham already had this event planned. Mm -hmm. He already knew. I guarantee he already knew what he was going to talk about, but he got new material to help like reinforce that. Right. Like any good speaker takes what's going on and like uses that to their advantage. Right. Right. There's nothing wrong with that. That's what a good orator does. Mm -hmm. So then what do you think happens in the minds of people who are afraid who've been told that the Russians are big and scary and they're going to blow up the world and they're going to start this nuclear war, especially in a city like LA. What do you think happens when someone who is as excellent of a speaker and evangelist as Billy Graham gets up and says, you need to follow Jesus because if you die and you don't have Jesus, you're going to go to hell. Yeah. Well, there's this really real threat of death. Right. You can't tell me that you don't think that that had an 
extra little punch on what he's yeah. saying. Again, I'm not saying he's wrong for doing that. No. But that's the reality of it, mm-hmm. is that fear of death encouraged people to make decisions. Sure. And I think that's a great example mm-hmm. of that starts there, but now a lot of Christians react out of fear that the government's going to come and take their faith away, or such and such country is going to destroy the faith. Yeah. And I love such and such religion is going to destroy, destroy the faith. The right. Faith. Yeah. And it's funny because like John Tyson, who's a pastor in New York said something that I just loved. He's like, Christianity has a 2000 plus year track record. Yeah. Of Jesus taking care of his church. Mm-hmm. Is it always comfortable? No, 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 not really. But we're also not called to a life of comfort and the Western kind of mantras kind of created that. Yeah. So anyway, I think the reason that I say that, the reason I was trying to formulate my words before that is I don't want to say that Billy Graham had malicious intent with that, mm-hmm. but you can see yeah. how that has an effect, mm-hmm. right? Can I, can I throw something out? Yeah, here? yeah, yeah. This, this is this is a complete thought experiment that I just thought mm-hmm. of, but um, I think that overwhelmingly, mo- most Christians would agree that and I think this is shown in the Bible, and we, this is talked about from the pulpit fairly often, that the the way of Jesus moves better when it's persecuted mm-hmm. or, like, when it's not a state religion. For right? sure. When it's not, like, um, it's not comfortable. When it's not comfortable. Do you think, and this is complete, I, sure. we, we're not afraid of this at all. Do you think that it's possible that people sometimes call in the fact that they are being persecuted or they're in this situation or we call that we call that into question all the time because we think by putting ourselves in that mindset we're going the gospel will spread better I've, if if we believe that in our heads hmm. the gospel will spread does that make sense well i think that just i think that's the thing is fear becomes a tool for the christian sure which i'm i'm going to step out on a limb and say that's not biblical well, obviously, yeah. you, something that Jesus in, is repeatedly told in the Bible not to do, to not mm-hmm. fear, I don't think is an effective tool mm-hmm. as a Christian to reach other people. Yeah. Because uh, what do they call them? Uh, foxhole conversions. <laughs> the majority of the time, yeah. foxhole conversions, they're just in that moment because there's great fear. Yeah. But there's very, very often there's not like transformative life change, sure. right? Because it's just it's a decision made out of fear. Mm-hmm. Um, that's always been my issue with like the uh, fire and brimstone sermons of like you're going to go to hell, so accept Jesus. Well, like, that's scary. So I'm going to make a decision, but I don't. I, I question if there's going to be able to be real life change yeah. out of that. I'm 27. I can't say whether or not that's true or not because I haven't lived long enough, right? Yeah. But I just wonder if the church has begun to use a tool that we shouldn't use yeah. to communicate the gospel. Yeah, I mean, all I Cuz I agree. About, I, I think your thought experiment is probably the, accurate. Yeah, it's just an, it, it just an interesting. I think that the, like um I I would say that I don't, I don't want to put this a bad way, but like a lot of when I was younger, a lot of my faith in wanting to be <laughs> believe in Jesus cuz you were afraid. Cuz I was afraid. Yeah. Yeah, and I did until I got over that fear that fearful feeling, I don't think I ever felt the full love of Jesus and the full breadth of yeah. like the, like having a faith a saving faith in Jesus right D- does that make sense yeah for sure um, I mean I, were... I'm not saying I wasn't saved because I was fearful I think that I was but until you get past that part of it you you don't feel that f- the fullness of that that grace does that do you know do you know what I mean no for sure I think that's why um like the the immediate verse comes to mind of Second Timothy one seven for the spirit of God yeah. does not make us timid or in another translation it does not give us a spirit of fear mm-hmm. but gives us power love and 
self-discipline or a sound of mind, yeah. right? Like, I think that that's interesting, right? Like, yeah. But the reason you and I were raised like that is because of so many years prior of conditioning, right? Like, yeah. that's why I say that, like, I can't, I can't place all the blame on the current generation of people, right? Like, it's been a conditioning thing that's happened for years and years and years that has trained us to make decisions out of fear. Mm-hmm. Like, even a lot of people made decisions out of fear. Think about COVID, toilet paper. I'm gonna run out of toilet paper. I yeah. really don't understand that one. But people went and bought tons and tons of it because they were afraid that something was going to happen. Yeah. Um, and usually decisions out of, made out of fear are yeah. irrational. And it's it's such an interesting conundrum when you look at like, you look at like some like, I, and I'm going to just call it this, but like your tip, your more conservative Christian response to COVID, sure. right? Um, maybe not. Okay. How about we just go with call? How about your Christian nationalistic response? Sure. To COVID? Your far right, yeah. religious um, right. You know, um, where there's this whole sentiment of like you talk about where you talk about like, oh, we don't have to fear because we trust God. But also the government's not going to the government's not going to make me wear a mask and they're taking over this and that. Like, why are we not worried about this? And it's like you can't have you you can't play both ways. You can't run both sides of the coin there. It's just it's just interesting. For sure. No, I think that that's the thing where I I think COVID was valuable and is it uncovered a lot of things. In ourselves, and the question was whether or not we were willing to deal with those things in ourselves. Um, but yeah, man, I think the thing in all of this that kind of you're going to hear a repetitive thing, as honestly, especially from from the last few episodes on, is mm-hmm. like the recurring thing that Ryan and I are both really passionate about are the spiritual disciplines or spiritual formation or just practice practicing the things Jesus did. You're yeah. basically really taking seriously not only the Great Commission but the thing, the Great Commandment that's after it of teach them to do all the things that I said and did. Yeah, like. So for me, for us, like that's become really important because we've seen genuine life change in our lives. Um, And so I wonder that if the solution to this is spending more time in the word and less time trying to say, well, how does this passage affect the world at right now? Yeah. And more saying, what is God trying to communicate to his people through this passage? Yeah. Taking this... Basically, the way I would word it is making your first read of whatever passage you're reading, trying to read it through the eyes of the people it was written to Mm -hmm. and not trying to apply it to your daily life immediately. Because not every passage can be applied to your daily life immediately. Mm -hmm. But trying to understand what was God's original desired thing to be communicated here. Yeah. And how does that apply to just my personal life and those around me? And then if it does apply, then yeah, look at it in the context of culture. Yeah. But start start somewhere else. And I think that it's really difficult to do that if we're not spending time in silence and solitude away from social media, away from news, away from the noise of the world, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I think that's something I've been trying to work on really hard is that idea of silence and solitude because of how noisy the world is. Yeah. Well, it's like, I, think we, I think we actually talked about this last week, yeah. like the importance of... Um, like yeah, reading your Bible, science, all those important. But like within that science and solitude, like if you're just sitting there in silence, like you should like listen, like act actively listening to what God is trying to tell you. Yeah. Because it's really easy to do all these things and be really be really busy and not actually hear what God's trying to tell you. And right. Then you're exactly. like, God, why aren't you talking to me? And he's like, <laughs> I, I am. I am. You're just not listening. Yeah. Um. So I wrote this down and I sent it to you last week because I I it kind of was just a thought that popped into my head. Yeah. It's kind of like a thought experiment or illustration or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. 
So I said, have you ever had the experience of being in a large group of people and you suddenly hear a voice that you recognize, but you can't quite pinpoint who it is yeah. and you spend the next 10 to 15 minutes trying to figure out who it is, yeah. like who that is like, sure. or it's like there's a movie going on in the background. You're like, man, that voice is familiar. Who, who is that? I, yeah. I know it, but I don't, I don't know, know it. Right. But then you also ha- have, you also had an experience where you're being in a large group of people and you hear that one person laugh or that one person, that one person even just say a word and you immediately know who they are and you might even be able to pinpoint where they are in the room. Yeah. So there's one person who I work with who her laugh is so distinct that you could hear her down the hall and be like, oh, hey, Diane's here. Yeah. Like you just, you just know it's yes. familiar or even like Ken, I could hear him in a large crowd of people and I will immediately know who it is. Right. Because I'm familiar with this voice. Mm-hmm. So then I ask, which one of these describes your familiarity with the voice of Jesus? Mm. Are you more familiar with the voice of culture, news, and friends than that of Jesus? Mm. And I think that that's the important thing when it comes down to silence and solitude, because I think it can be really frustrating if you don't know what his voice is and you spend the whole time trying to block out the the voices of the world and everyone else and things in, in your day and the week and whatever... And you're so unfamiliar with his voice that it becomes such a struggle because you can't interpret what he's saying. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, it's like we talked about that that prayer training from Bridgetown where it talks about and this. This I didn't want to hear this at all, but like the way the way you discover what God's voice sounds like is you just make mistakes. Yeah. You're (laughs) like, well, I think he's telling me. I think he's telling me to do this, and then the person that then you do it, and it's like, oh well, maybe not. Okay. Okay. So that wasn't it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's usually how you learn. Well, I thought it was interesting. He made a comment of under like how do you someone asked him like how do you know it's the spirit speaking? Yeah. And I thought it was really interesting because it, it's very freeing in one sense. Yeah. Um, it allows me, it allowed me to just kind of take one more step forward into that, that discipline and that development of understanding the voice of Christ Yeah, is the voice of the spirit is like any other thought that pops into your head, except for the fact that, you know, it didn't originate within you. Yeah. Now, obviously you always have to challenge those things. Like yeah. it may be, it may be the devil. It may be just some random thought that actually did originate within you, but you just, mm-hmm. It's the deep recesses of you because if you ever have ever spent time in silence and solitude, it's a scary spot because you start having thoughts that are within you, but you've just buried so deep and you start Mm -hmm. seeing the true side of you. And it's a very scary moment of like, I'm really like this. This is me. Like, that's (laughs) terrifying. Right. Yeah. But I think that that's such an interesting idea because I think sometimes we over we overcomplicate so much in the in that realm, especially with prayer. Right. Yeah. So I don't know. I think, I think that to me is so important. And I know it doesn't, I know on face value, it doesn't necessarily connect perfectly with the, the masculinity conversation and all this, but I think well, it, being able to enter into silence and solitude yeah. allows you to let the spirit speak into you mm-hmm. and you see who you really are yeah. and you can confess those things. Yeah. And well, it also does tie into it in a sense, because I think that, like if we as a like a church culture were more invested in spiritual disciplines in that way, mm-hmm. um, like a lot of the things that hap- like that that happen wouldn't happen because you would hear God's voice. Right. You would you would see a lot of the things and be like, oh, that doesn't seem like that doesn't, that doesn't seem, really work. That doesn't work. And well, it's um, like even going back to the masculinity thing. Like the reason that I was so always growing up like so weirded out by things like fasting things like silence and solitude, things like prayer, like genuinely weirded out by things like prayer or all of these things that are spiritual disciplines yeah, um, is because they felt for lack of better terms too like 
touchy feely, girly, emotional. like emotional. And I, I, I was taught not to do that. Mm-hmm. Like that wasn't yeah. for me. And I'm like, and now I'm like, man, I, I need that so desperately. Yeah. Because I hadn't, that's interesting. I hadn't thought of it in that view. That makes a lot. That's, that's really good. Well, you even have to think about like the thing that in Genesis that so intrigues me. And I know that people will think I'm pulling up some really deep, getting in some deep weeds here, but I'm, it, it's just, it, I mean, it's there in the text, right? It says God created the male and female in his image. Yeah. And so we try and like say, well, the spiritual disciplines are like kind of, kind of touchy feely and girly. Like that's great for women to do, but Gus guys, we just need to go work out and we need to go chop wood and shoot guns and do all these things. And that's manly and following Jesus. And I'm like, but man, like there are these attributes of God that are healthy and good for us to do Mm -hmm. that somehow we have just said, no, we don't need those. And I wouldn't even say like, like those things, the spiritual difference, like those are things Jesus did and they're not, they're not, you know, masculine or feminine. They're just Jesus. Yeah, exactly. It's just the things Jesus did. Yeah. So I don't know, like these, those are just the thoughts that have been popping around in my head. And I'm trying to really take more seriously those ideas of the spiritual disciplines because I see it in my own life of the change. And I, I'd been praying about it a lot for a while. And I genuinely believe that our generation, so we're millennials Mm -hmm. and the next generations, I don't know that we will be able to be used powerfully by God. Yeah. Unless we return to those things because the world is noisy. It's complex. It's all over the place. Everything's vying for your attention. And if we don't have the ability to retreat back to sit at the feet of Jesus. I mean, think about the story of uh, Mary and Martha. Right, yeah. Like Martha's running around like crazy, trying to get stuff done, dealing with all the complexities of the day. And Mary's sitting at his feet. And what's he say? Like she's chosen the better of these things mm-hmm. signifying like that is so important to following him. Yeah. Um, But yeah, that's mm-hmm. kind of what I've been thinking lately. No, I told, no, I agree. Um, also, I learned something new yesterday, completely off topic of oh, this, yeah, but no, that was really sure. funny. Is a lot of um, theologians and like um, rabbis estimate that the majority, the majority of the disciples were like late teenagers, like yes. eighteen to like twenty two. Yeah, and then how when you think about that? how buffoonish they sound, you're like, oh, oh yeah, that sounds like me. Yeah. No, I know. <laughs> like, that... <laughs> like when he's like, "Hey, Jesus, should we build some houses for you guys up here?" And you're like. What? Oh yeah, no, that sounds like an eighteen-year-old talking. Yeah. Like, that, that checks out. So <laughs> that that makes sense. Yeah, but it just is funny. Like we always, and again, this even this even plays into this discussion that just dawned on me. Right, yeah. we always portray the disciples as these like older guys who are wise and have done all these things. Yeah. And Jesus chooses the teenagers yes. and the early twenty-year-olds who would would not be super well respected. Mm-hmm. Mm. And says, I'm going to make you my disciples who are going to share it. Because I think there's some conversations that John is the youngest, was the youngest out of all of them, like, yeah, maybe like 17, say, 18. Yeah, there, like. there's some people that say he even might be have been like 11 or 12. Right. Like, yeah, and there's no, no way really knows. of knowing. But it's just interesting, like, he chooses these people yeah. to proclaim his gospel to be mm-hmm. like, Almost the way the almost way I think about it, it's like a dandelion when it's all like all that and you blow it and all of it just spreads everywhere and you just get more and more dandelions. Like it's like he chose these twelve people of so much such different backgrounds. So like I don't think we 
I don't think we grasp how insane having a tax collector and a zealot yeah in the same room in the same group of people how insane that is no it's like yeah i mean it's worse than if you had two people that were like completely in today's culture like the opposite politically it's like that times a million like right they hated each other yeah and not only that was not only other. that was matthew a tax collector he was a jewish tax collector right so he was going against his, his own, own people and in, in bed with rome <laughs> It's like, and a zealot is someone that really thought all Romans should basically die, and people that were with the state should be killed. Yeah, exactly. And they would go into crowds and kill people, and then disappear. I mean, it's 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 crazy. So it's like you could get more polar opposites, and these are the people Jesus chose to preach his gospel. Mm. Yeah. So I don't know, man. Like, this is just the stuff that I've become really passionate about. Of just like, this is the stuff I want to talk to people about. Yeah, no, it's, it's, and I think the reason that you get that, that I'm so passionate about is because I've just, I've, I've ran my, the wheels off myself so many times. <laughs> right. And like, when you find something that's life giving, mm-hmm. it's like, it's, I need to tell other it's like, people. like, oh my gosh, it. yeah, this, this is really helpful. This yeah. makes a big difference. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I mean, long story short, Learn the spiritual disciplines. Mm-hmm. Don't treat them like legalism. Don't treat yeah. them as like, if I do this, I'll be more saved. Like it's not, it's not removing the sa- salvation by grace. Like we are saved because of his grace. Yes. But it doesn't end there. It does not end there. Like even James talks about like, show me your faith by your, by your um, works and I'll show you this and vice versa. Like there's some part in all of it, yes. right? Like there's an outworking of our faith of like doing the things he did. Like that's part of the commandment. I even think like baptism, I don't think we necessarily take it as seriously as we should. Like, yeah. like that's a commandment is go share with them the gospel. Go, go mm-hmm. make disciples. And yeah. part of being a disciple is to be baptized. Yeah. Like that's just a thing. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's not an optional thing. Yeah. And a lot of times we do treat it as an optional thing. True. Which even just that is like crazy. But again, I think that my last thought I would say is I think that so many of these things we've run away from, like think of a pendulum. We've swung so far to the other side of like the super hyper orthodox or uh, Catholicism, like do this, do this, that we swung so far to the other side that all of these things that Jesus did, if you saw someone doing that and encouraging other people to do it, you would call them a legalist. Yeah. Like you have to do these things. And it's like, no, that's actually just Jesus. Mm -hmm. Like, the thing I will never be able to escape from is Jesus repeatedly escaped away to the top of a mountain to be by himself to pray. Yeah. And if the son of God, who is God, had to do that, yes. who am I to think I don't need to do that? Who is God and, and fully God and, and fully, fully man. man. Like, if he needed to do all of these things, who am I to think I don't need to do yeah. them? And I think we miss that a lot that he was fully God and fully man. Like we, 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 we give it lip service, yeah, but I yeah, don't yeah. think we necessarily take like, the full meaning. And of honestly, what that is. I don't even think we'll ever understand what that no. fully means. Cause like that, because if he breaks was fully, my brain, like if he was fully man, he had to go through things that you also struggle with. Right. He suffered all things like, yeah. And like he had to learn how to do all these different things that you had to learn how to do. Right. And he had he, to memorize the entire Old Testament just like every other Jewish boy did. And he used all those spiritual disciplines because I, I would assume he found that this was the best way to, to he follow knew. God. He, he, he knew. knows that that's 
that's how like that's how we do it yeah and he sets the example right and it's not just that he knew he also he it's not that he just knew because he was god he knew because he was god but he knew because he also experienced life as a human right and did these things throughout his human life right exactly right so yeah long story short be like jesus (laughs) yes do the things he did yes you're not going to succeed every time and that does not make you a failure no all it means is that you're human and you can take one step forward. N.T. Wright made a comment that I thought was so, so profound. He said, being a Christian is like riding a bike. If you're not moving forward, you fall off. It's <laughs> good. Take man. one step at a time, or in that case, one pedal at pedal a time step. forward. Whatever your choice of movement is. Move towards yeah. him and your life will look different. Mm-hmm. And then you'll have the opportunity to give an answer for the hope you have. Mm. Yeah. I don't got anything else. No, I'm I'm good, man. That was that was great. Um, yeah, Jesus and John Wayne, read it. It's really good. Yeah, it's really challenging. Um, All right, buddy. Well, let's wrap this up and we'll head out. You want to pray for us? Yeah, sure. Uh, dear Lord, I just uh, thank you for you know this time once again to get together and talk about um, talk about uh, you know you and and you Jesus and your spiritual disciplines and. Uh, just, you know, that we're so blessed to be able to even have the opportunity to do this and to be able to read books about history or and to just be in, even in a situation to do this. Lord. So thank you for that, Lord. I pray that anything that we said today, Lord, that, that I, I just pray that um, that you guided us through this, as, you know, Lord, and that you would just, if that we would just, had, we just said things that you wanted people to hear, Lord, that we would just be continually following you and following your voice. Um, I, I thank you for who you are. Um, Thank you for, you know, um, Mark is my good friend, being able to just go through and wrestle with these things together, Lord Jesus. And so I uh, pray that as we go through on throughout the week that we would just continue to uh, be in your word, follow you, and just do the things that you do. Praise Jesus, amen. Amen. All right, buddy. All right, man. Have a good week. Yeah, you too, bro. Bye. See you guys later. Well, hopefully we'll get our next episode out a little bit more timely. But hey, you know, that's, that's the beauty of it. It's kind of as we have time. So uh, if you if you like the podcast, give us a review. If you didn't like it, give us a review and give us a comment. Share it with a friend. Pray you're challenged and encouraged by it. See you guys. <laughs>